0: Please take a seat for the reading of the scripture. Our reading today is from 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. The word of the Lord.
1: Morning and welcome everyone. My name is Pastor Scott, so glad to have you here at Bethany North as we continue our uh, Art of the Journey sermon series about the life of Moses. Today we'll be looking at Exodus 16. Uh, All summer long we're studying Moses' life, both as something God did then, 3,500 years ago, but hopefully to understand more of what God is doing now and the way in which Christ is leading us all on a journey towards Him. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you so much for a morning to gather and worship and to sing songs and to hear a story of a woman who is following after you. And Father, we just pray now as we turn to your scriptures that you would, uh, as always, Lord, make the old story new again in our lives and in our hearts and in the proclamation. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would move through anything that I might share in order to really speak to these people today, these men and women on a journey following you. In your great name we pray, Amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, our, our text today is Exodus 16. I hope you have brought your Bible or you have your app. Uh, we're under this title of Desert Lessons on Faith in the series, The Art of the Journey. And uh, at the conclusion of last week, uh, we had these little note cards um, that said, God, I remember. And we talked about the power to our forward trajectory of faith Being remembering how God has been faithful to us, and so at the conclusion of Sunday, we talked about leaving uh, a marker and making this stage um, a testimony. And every one of those remembrance slips um, is put into this mason jar. And as I went to stuff the God I remember cards in, uh, I went to read one, and I was like, "Well, you know, I'll read like the first ten, and then the next ten. And, uh, and I read every one of them. And I want you to know, because it's confidential stuff in there, as your pastor, um, this morning I feel like I have the best seat in the house. Because for you, you're, you're alongside people, maybe you're here this morning, and you know these people and not these people, and you heard Nicole's story about God's faithfulness, and, and you're here this morning uh, in some state wondering you know, where you're at on the journey. And in a season of like, boy, God's really been blessing me, or we're in the kind of more desert times, but you know, so often we can feel so isolated in our pursuit of Christ. At best, we feel aligned with someone with us, a roommate, a friend, a family member, a spouse, at best. Many times I talk to people, they're like, you know, I just, I feel alone and and when reading these pieces of paper and to remember the way in which you are remembering God's faithfulness to you all the people of God it was tremendously encouraging the stories about being a child and having you know God show up in specific ways and healings and you know really concrete, powerful ways is the way in which last week as a church we said, you know, I just got to want to take time to remember the faithfulness because the forward pursuit happens when we look back onto God's provision. And so today, it's a continuation lesson in many ways, Exodus 16. At the end of Exodus 15, God's people have gathered at Elam, and it's a 12 springs, and there's date trees, and it's a picture, both literal and metaphorical, of God's complete provision. And then the journey continues, and we find God's people in the desert, and we see them hungry, and we see them thirsty, and we see them wanting, and we see God providing, And so just at the outset, I'm gonna just leave the jar there to be just a marker because I wanna just remind you all in the way in which God has been faithful to you and God has showed up in concrete ways in your life and so that you can know God. I mean, that's the heartbeat of, of so many of the remembrance passages in Exodus. We have this command to teach other people. Exodus 13, when your children ask, tell them, God delivered us with a mighty hand. You know, later when God takes his people through the Jordan River, they take remembrance stones. We're called to be people telling our story, telling about what God is doing in our life, telling about the journey because in our in our highs and our lows we can speak to God's faithfulness and in that way we become encouragers. And so today in Exodus 16, God is going to provide these really concrete lessons for us as his people. That in desert times, God had something to teach God's people here in Exodus 16, but always were people of scripture, understanding what God did then, we want him to do now. We want our life in faith to be empowering us now. We want the rock of Christ to be encouraging us now. We want to drink again. Lord, you've made beautiful things, and we start to sing it, and then we start to harmonize, and the the church belts in, not because God did something once then, because God continues to speak and continues to reveal, and we need God to be continuing to move in us. It's not enough to remember what God did on a piece of paper back then. It's a start. But the lessons that come through the desert to God's people in Exodus 16 are a remembrance and a movement for us on a couple of really concrete things. And I just want to, I want to start with just this open-handed kind of motion to you that we will receive that which sustains us on our journey. We will receive it. Much as we come to a communion table, we come equal before the cross, and we come with open hands and when we receive the gift of Christ in our life and we receive his grace and his mercy, it doesn't matter if I'm a, you know, there's a triple homicide in my past or just some simple white lie, we're all, we're all sinners. And so when we approach God, we're, we're leveled at the foot of the cross and we come and we say, God, I want to receive that which I will be sustained in my faith journey. And so God's people today come empty-handed to God himself, and this is, a, this is a, a chapter of God's provision. And so our big idea coming out of Exodus 16 is this, is that there's these two rules from the desert that God teaches his people, specifically this Sunday. Desert rule one, the Lord will provide. And in that way, he earns our trust. The Lord will provide. He did it then. He did it then. He does it today. He'll do it tomorrow. The Lord will provide. And the desert lesson number two is that we need to be people that can stop and rest. Because in resting, we will proclaim that we can trust that God will provide again. And so it's an incredibly challenging message of God's provision and the rest that we're called to, but one that I feel like all week long God's been taking me through it again. And I'll be honest with you, friends, this is a challenging message for me to preach to you. It seems like once every summer God has me teach a, a sermon on resting or Sabbath as just a way to just, just kind of remind me, Scott, you're not going to earn your way to this you will receive that which sustains your faith journey. So rest in it. Let's begin at the first lesson that that God gives us through Exodus 16, is that the Lord provides over and over and over again. The Lord provides. And to that here, we're going to look at Exodus 16, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Exodus 16, your Bibles are open, you got a pen in hand, you're looking for places to, to underline, circle, question mark, we want to be engaged with the scriptures so they can speak to us today. Then the Lord set out from Elam. remember the end of 15, the, the whole nation has gone from Thirsty and having bitter waters at Marah... and moving to Elam, and so these places in Exodus matter a great deal. These geographical locations in the desert, which have something to tell us. Say, I haven't been to Elam, but you might, you know, put in Mount Lake Terrace or put in Bothell, put in a, a time. I remember that house when we lived in Seattle, down in the city, and that little. Like put yourself in specific locations. For here, the nation of Israel, they set out from Elam, and the congregation, the sons of Israel, came to the wilderness of Sin. Over a million people. Were which is between Eliam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So they've been traveling about six weeks now. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, I don't know what version of the Bible you're studying out of. We typically have used the NASB, which is the most uh, true to form of the ancient text. Many people are using NIV or NRSV. This word grumble may show up in your Bible as murmur, or as whisper, or as grumble. The heart of it is a complaint. But they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them "What? that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. The same complaint from chapter 15. The complaint which is they've they've levied over and over again. And I was mindful of the scripture reading from 1 Corinthians. That some grumbled, and, and Paul says in Corinthians, and it led to their destruction. There's something for us to learn today about the heart of grumbling. This is a grumbling, wished we could stay in Egypt where they were slaves for 400 years. And this is their narrative they remember. When we sat by pots of meat... When we eat bread to, to the full, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We'll go over that in just a minute. So they're remembering back to Egypt as slaves, but in their memory, there's pots of meat and, and a limitless bread supply. They were like camping in Panera here, uh, and it's not, in fact, at all how it was, but their memory betrays them, as nostalgia often does to us. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day, and I will test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So God's provision comes not in order to prove that we deserve it, but he does does make a component in, in his faithfulness that he wants us to receive it with open hands. He wants us as his people to acknowledge the fact that we will receive that which sustains us. So when God provides, he wants us to, to receive it and to give, to give praise where it's due. Verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepare, they will bring in, and it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the sons of Israel, evening you will know the Lord has brought you out of the hand of Egypt. Into the land of Egypt. In the morning, you'll see the glory of the Lord, for here's your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? This word story of grumble or murmur or whisper shows up about five times in the chapter, over and over and over again. And Israel, frankly, is learning the rhythm of obedience. They've been on the road, they've been in the desert on the road six weeks, and they keep learning this lesson. It's a million of us, we, you know, we're remembering back then in Egypt, and, and, and we're thirsty, and there's bitter waters, and then God, you know, hears the grumbles in chapter 15, and he works through Moses, and Moses throws in a stick, and the waters become sweet, and it is this divine way that God has made us as his people. He has made us to be diviners of water. He has made us to be intervening in the stories. He has made us over and over again, humans, broken, fallen people like Moses, murderer, 40 years in the desert, too old, too ill-equipped, but God calls him to lead the people out. That's greatly encouraging because when we find ourselves in places like, well, who am I to speak truth to this neighbor? Who am I to be a person of encouragement when my my journey doesn't always look spotless or, or blameless? who you are if you're a follower of Christ is you have Christ in you so you're a Christ follower so when you speak into hard situations who are you you're a recipient of Christ how much more how much more voice do you have because when you speak in a situation you say I'm just human and we have this propensity in the northwest where we don't want to tell anyone anything least of all our faith least of all this peace of hopefulness because you know well who am I who you are as a son or a daughter of the Most High King. And if you're, if you're sitting on truth that God wants to share with you, I'm not talking a truth bomb where you're blowing people up or telling them they're sinners. I'm talking about grace and mercy. And yes, sometimes truth and judgment that needs to come when people are walking away from their faith. Who are you? You're a follower of the King. And he has called us to be people speaking into situations. And, and, and he's called us to be learning this rhythm of obedience. And the nation of Israel, it's like they're out on this journey, and the journey's not easy. I mean, that happened in 15. They were thirsty three days without water, and here they're hungry. And so over and over again, their practical needs reveal a spiritual need, and God here in chapter 16 is patient with them. Five times they grumble, but God is faithful to him. His story in Exodus 16 is one of provision. And when they're speaking their needs and speaking about how life is crushing them, God says, yeah, but I can, I can sustain you. I can, I can provide for you. And they remember back to these pots of meat. Do you remember the pots of meat in Egypt? Scholars said, no, there were no pots of meat. For a slave in Egypt, they would eat a stew of onions and garlic, and especially for foreign slaves. You would receive the very table scraps from the empire of Egypt so pots of meat is a falsehood it is an absolute absolute historical falsehood but when we get into hungry and thirsty spaces nostalgia distorts the present i would have been better off being single I would have been better off had I not joined uh, this place where God was calling me to work. But I would, you know, if I was doing that other thing, you know, I would have been better off had I never had this set of roommates. I would have been, but, you know, you start looking at your present situation in places of hunger and need and, and Satan whispers these, these grumbles into your heart and looking back around your, you know, your, your, your happiness the way he used to be. I, I spent six months in a van driving around America. And no, this isn't, you know, it's Chris Farley's Saturday Night Live. I lived in a van by the way. No, this was my life. And, and you know, it was, it was me and a, a Rand McNally map because we used to use maps back in the day and a van and I would drive around and it was wonderful. And now there's days with children and a church and another job and just like, you know, and nostalgia starts to whisper. Remember the van? Remember, like, open, you know, the, I had hair then, and like the hair was blowing in the breeze, and the windows were down, and I was, you know, but it's not actually how it was. Because actually, that was a tremendous adventure, but it was also punctuated with acute times of loneliness. Because all of life was lived on this continuum between loneliness and intimacy, and freedom and intimacy. So, times when you have the most freedom, it's oftentimes without a lot of intimacy. And in times where you have a lot of intimacy and houseful, you don't have any freedom. And you find yourself maybe on this continuum remembering back on the way it was and, and, and all it can do is pull you out of your present story. So anchor yourself into where God has placed you today and be an instrument of grace and mercy following him because there were no pots of meat back in the old days. God has placed you today with the scars that you bear and the hopes that you contain in order to use your life as a blessing to many so we can be blessed to be a blessing There were no pots of meat. We are called to be his people living in the now. And in this way, this is a message, one of the few things I really, really want you to get today, that the death of grumbling is the birth of worship. The death of grumbling becomes the birth of worship for us as his people. Worship being synonymous of my life is lived in response to God's revelation. And so I want my life to be lived in that response. I want life to be worshipped talking beyond singing on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about living in the fullness of my story now, that God is living inside me, his truth. I'm growing on this trajectory of Christ, and I am blessed to be a blessing. I need to grumble less. I need to worship more. And so if we find ourselves in seasons of whispering or murmuring or grumbling or whatever the synonym is in your Bible, and we're thinking ourselves out of today's story into the past, the scripture is telling us, stop grumbling and start worshiping. There were not pots of meat there and life will not be easier. The grass is not always greener. This is the place that God has put you today. And so for Egypt, it's a place of literal slavery and becomes for us a metaphor for slavery. God's warning here to his people is don't idealize the times when you were slaves. You're free now. Live into your freedom to worship Christ and grumble less and worship more. And yet in the midst of that is a tremendous amount of, of God's provision in Exodus 16. They continue to grumble and God continues to meet their need. And it is mysterious. Because if you look in the New Testament, when, when the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and the angel of the Lord comes to Zacharias and tells, tells Mary she's going to have a son and tells Zacharias he's going to have a son who's John, both show doubt, both grumble. But Zacharias is is silenced until John is born, and Mary is allowed to have an interaction. And there's something mysterious in that. But in Exodus 16, there's something that is being said as they are speaking their needs. They're grumbling, yes, but they're speaking them out loud. And the worst kind of grumbling is something that happens at the end of 16, where the people in secret are out trying to gather extra manna on the Sabbath day. And the the warning from Exodus 16 is when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, at least speak your needs out loud. At least say something to other people that you're not doing okay because you can't walk alone forever. And we are called to be people that aren't just grumbling silently because in those silent spaces where nostalgia takes us out of our present stories and be tremendously destructive. That's where sin likes to take up residence. Let's let's continue here in verses 9 through 12. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come near before the Lord. He has heard your grumblings. And again, they're grumbling, but the Lord isn't smiting them or casting them out. The Lord is asking them to come near, maybe perhaps to hear them better. There's a beautiful picture in Exodus 16 of people's needs and the Lord listening. So Moses says, says, Gather the people and come near. Verse 10, it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the sons of Israel. They looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So notice what's happening here. They've been looking back towards Egypt, saying, we wish we'd go back. God says, come near. I want to hear from you. I want to know where you're hungry. I want to know where you're thirsty. And then their eyes look forward toward the wilderness. The presence of God, God filling them, and then giving them fruit for the journey ahead. So their eyes looked towards the wilderness, and then, and then they, they, they behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God provides. And so then there's quail that's rained down. It's a, it's a note here that God's provision will look different than our request often, Right? I mean, when you tell your story about, well, you know, I was looking for a job and I wanted this and then this thing, for many of us in the room, if we drew a target on the thing we asked God for, then maybe what God provided looked a little bit different. In hindsight, we can often see that God's wisdom trumps our wisdom and God's blessing is better than the thing we wanted. We can look back on past relationships or past things we wanted or or anything, But God here hears their grumblings, he gathers them close, and then he reveals his glory to them. And he says, I will provide for you meat in the morning, bread in the evening, in order that you know that I am your God. And so it's important for us to know that God's revelation comes through his provision. God is patient. He knows our needs. He's rich in mercy. He's abundant. God will provide We need to hear that through this scripture. We hear that in Nicole's story. God will provide. And even in Nicole's vulnerability, though, the provision comes in place of great heartache. And provision doesn't always mean that things are going to be always easy. God is not an ATM machine. God does not provide us a, a genie. But God provides physical blessings in order for us to know him so that we can worship him. God's a good God. Remember in Luke 11, where Jesus says, Which of your fathers, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Jesus longs to hear our our grumblings, our whisperings, our needs. We're not called to be these iron men of faith that never need anything or never long for anything. Jesus is saying in Exodus 16, I want to hear from you. And I get it that things are hard right now if you're in a desert place, but I want to meet your needs. And maybe, just maybe, and I said this last week, you're already in the middle of a miracle. And the things that you have right now, they might be different than the things that you're longing for. Maybe God is asking you to take stock this morning and see the ways in which he's already provided for you. And for others, it's like, no, you have no idea, Scott. There's still these three things that I, you know, it's this physical health, it's, it's somebody I care for, it's, it, it's, it's money that we don't have or a place to sleep. I mean, there's real needs in the people of God. This book does not promise an easy journey, but it does promise here today and throughout the narrative of the scripture that God will provide, that He is good to us, and He wants us to be able to, to know that. Let's continue on, verses 13 through 18. Verse 13 continues on. So it came about evening. The quails came, covered the camp. A camp full of quail. Be careful what you wish for. And in the morning there was layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said, one another, what is it? They did not know what it is. And Moses said, it's bread which the Lord's given you to eat. That's what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as you should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, gathered as much, and some gathered little. Verse 18, when they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Everyone had what they needed. God provided. Desert lesson number one, God will provide. And we have an image of you know, what manna might have looked like, but it's funny because God provided them manna, and they're like, what in the world is that? What is that? We want a bread, like the old bread. God's like, I'm going to provide for you, but it's going to look differently than what you were looking for, but it will be provision. And for some of us this morning, this is very, very practical because we've been looking for this thing, and God's saying, but I'm providing that thing. And that gap between what we have and what we pine for is where God says, this is where discipleship happens. Can you take my blessings? Can you take my provision? And can you worship me? And can you see that even in this present sickness, even in this present difficulty, even in this present thing you're longing for me to interact with, can you believe that I am continuing to meet your need? God is saying, I will provide for you. He patiently provides for you. And he has. Point to the jar. God, I remember. He showed up in specific ways in our lives over and over and over again. And so our memory, not of nostalgia, but our memory of God's faithfulness becomes a journey for us, a map, a way to remember where we're going. We were in North Idaho a couple weeks ago heading to a friend's cabin and I had Google Maps. I don't know if any of you have become addicted to mapping everything. Like I map everything. I map how to get home. Well, because if there's an accident, and sometimes I'm on I-5 and it's black, I'm like, oh, I should have mapped it. So I've become addicted to the map. And we were driving in North Idaho, and I've got my map up. Even though my friend had offered direction, like, we'll be fine. I've got the map. But then the phone starts to die and panic strikes. And I realize I am totally sworn to allegiance of a piece of technology telling me exactly where I'm going. And so, as people of faith on our journey towards Christ, what is the map? It's the truth that God will provide for us. And and that, and that becomes more than a hallmark statement. We become people of great hope. If we become people of this narrative, God will provide. But I'm unemployed right now, but God will provide. But she's sick right now, but God will provide. And then the, f- the test of our discipleship is saying the reality versus what we long for, trusting that that looks like God's provision. Very challenging for people in the room suffering with physical health right now or mental health. How can you say this is God's provision? The scriptures tell us that God will provide for us and something is happening now, even in your present sickness, even in your present struggles. It's provision. It is. And so we're called to trust that this life we live, fashioned after God's own heart, is teaching us something about His faithfulness. The Lord will provide. The second lesson that comes from the desert, comes from the text today, is this lesson number two. You need to rest. This is the pot calling the kettle black this morning. But God has teaching us all through Exodus 16 that our rest is divinely appointed as a way for us to receive more of God in our lives. This is the second part of Exodus 16. Look at verse 22 through 26 with me about the Sabbath and about the command of his people to rest. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you bake and boil what you boil and all that's left over, put aside, to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day there will be none. God gives us this command, we're called to be people of rest, of rest. Gathering manna, doing our work, working hard, desert No easy journeys here. They're living in a tent on the Sinai Peninsula. So that means tremendous cold at night. It means means tremendous heat during the day. There's nothing easy about this. The, The manna, they didn't even recognize it as bread. The provision will often look differently than our needs. But it's what God's calling us to. And then he calls us to rest in it. Rest in it. And we can say that like, gosh, well, you know, what does that look like now? Can Sabbath be a Saturday? Can Sabbath be a Sunday? Or if I don't work Thursday? And we start to make all these provisions, but mostly it's important for us, as the reading from First Corinthians said, as a New Testament Christians, we have rest available to us. We have our Christ who, who, who came to us in our poverty so that we might become rich. This is 2 Corinthians 8. And, and 2 Corinthians, Paul actually talks about this passage in Exodus, he who gathered much, and he used it to talk about generosity. And, and Paul says, at the present time, your surplus will meet their needs, then in turn, their surplus will meet your need. There will be equality with God's people. In verse 9 of Second Corinthians, Corinthians 8, Christ was rich, but for our sakes, Christ knew poverty, that as poverty we might become rich. And there's perfect provision, Paul says, in Christ himself. And for God's people, there's this, there's this building out through the scriptures that we can trust his provision in us. And he can, we can trust that on this journey towards faith, when we rest, that God will continue working on our behalf. But it's not easy to learn. Verse twenty seven through thirty one, and it came about on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. So there'd been manna, 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 six days and seventh day. Some people are like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab an extra omer. I'm gonna just grab some aside. You never know what's gonna happen. It's my, it's my rainy day manna fund. And so they go out to gather and they find nothing. And the Lord then says to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord's given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. And so then the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. God has given us enough, but we want more. And for many of us in the room, we can kind of sub in instead of just monitor, you know, instead of bread, because many of us have provision for daily bread. And then we think about money, and many of us, you know, long for more. People are like, well, I've got enough this month to get by. For many people in the room, time becomes the real currency. Ah, oh, I wish I had more time. How you doing? Ah, wow, it's just, you know, we're busy, right? We're busy people. But can we trust the provision of God with bread, with money, with our time, that we have what we need? When we start working incessantly and we can't rest, we, it becomes a test of our discipleship. Because at our, at our level of, of obedience, we're showing about our life that we don't trust that God's going to show up in the future. This is so hard to live into. But hear me on this, that when failure to rest, it's, it's failure to believe that God will provide. When we never rest, our life speaks towards a discipleship in ourselves. If we never stop to receive, then we just, we're just constantly working. And it's impossible to understand that God has orchestrated us divinely to be people of vocation and people of, of relaxation at times. And people are like, well, I don't like to sit around. Well, anything that we do where our mind is resting, we're able to worship easier, is Sabbath rest. I can be gardening. I can be playing tennis with a kid. I can be going hiking. I can be anything that takes us away from our present grind. And for many people where we just have this lack of capacity to rest, it becomes and sometimes a lack of faith. Can I rest in, into whatever God is calling me to do this week to just experience the joy of creation or the joy of relationships? Or am I incessantly moving? Because that's a, that's a lack of faith. It's really, really tricky to do. This week, is um, it's been busy because God wants to teach me about all this. And I looked at my calendar, and sad to say, I wanted to take my daughter on an overnight backpacking trip because she's 12. I just want, you know, the two of us hike out, set up a tent, you know, and, and kind of experience nature. And I was looking at my calendar. I'm like, this might be the one night in the next several weeks where we could actually do this. Friday's my day off. Like, we could go out Thursday and hike in and spend the night. But it was I was too busy. And there was a contractor meeting. And then, you know, there was emails. And there was this and that. And I literally just, I just needed to shut the book and just, not the Bible, but, the, you know, my book of, like, to-dos and we packed up, and we drove out of town, and we left later than we wanted to, and we got to the, the, the uh, camp, or to the trailhead, and it was literally thundering, and I'm like, what do we do? And I was like, well, mom would say, let's go back. And I'm like, but what do you want to do? She's like, let's keep going. I was like, awesome, you know? And, and we're hiking in. Is it Sabbath? It was. We set up at the lake underneath the mountain and to, to read with my daughter and to journal next to her. It was rest, and I was too busy to do it, and it rained all night. I mean, it was miserable. We couldn't get the stove going. We ate nothing for breakfast, but that doesn't matter because we were able to rest and be together. Do we ever give ourselves permission to rest? When we do not rest, our worship is at risk. When we do not rest, our obedience is at at risk. And in this way, friends, it's so important to hear that rest is worship. Rest is worship. Like, that's a picture I need you to really understand. When you rest, it is worship. If your hands are open and saying, God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this meal with a friend. Thank you for, you know, I can't take a full day because I'm working so hard right now on this other project, but I'm going to rest for these two hours. Don't make stipulations on yourself. But do not stop and and forget that God is calling you to practically rest. And in your resting becomes worship. That's really counterintuitive for a Western culture that's been raised on on this. We're going to earn our way to God. The gospel of grace is simply this. You will receive that which sustains you. And so when you rest, it becomes opportunity for worship. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this nap. Thank you for this walk with my spouse. Thank you for tennis with a friend. Thank you for whatever it is you're stepping away from your doing in order to focus on being. And if you're like me, it's tougher to practice it than to preach it. But we're called to be people living into this and then finally here in verse, six, uh, verse 32, uh, this is our conclusion, the power of memory to sustain our faith. And this is a continuation from last week. I want to encourage you, if you're gone a lot during the summer, like many of us are, you can go to the app or the website and you can hear messages as we just work our way through Exodus. But this is a continuation of the power of memory. Verse 32, uh, God says, and then Moses said this, this is what the Lord's commanded, let an omer fall several cups, of it be kept throughout your generations. Now he's talking about manna, and manna that that rains down and disappears, but something mysterious happens in verse 32. Moses tells the people, actually keep some of the manna. Keep it. Keep it throughout the generations. Keep that manna so they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony, before where they worshiped God, to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna for 40 years until they came to an uninhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. And Moses here, he makes a break from the narration. They've been in this kind of moment by moment and he actually looks over the whole journey, the art of the journey they've been taking saying for 40 years they wandered and for 40 years they gathered. But take some manna and put it in a jar and put the jar before your families and before your community so that we can remember that God provides. We need reminders. We need reminders that God shows up and that God delivers and that he's powerful and that he provides. And then that those reminders uh, become pathways to worshiping Christ in our life. But God showed up then and he showed up here and he showed up in my life when I accepted Jesus in my life. And as I continue my journey in all my hard places and my thirsty places and desert places, Christ, I need you to be, I, I need more of you in my life. We hit hungry, thirsty patches. Christ, I want more of you and, and that I might be a blessing to your community. That might be a blessing into the people I live with. We're called to, like, literally God tells him, like, put a mason jar in your, in your home of the places where God has provided. And that might become practical application for you this morning. Some people are like, I want to do that. I'm going to, like, put a literal jar on our, on our mantle and just put little blessings in there. For some people, it's a prayer journal where they just write down the places they've been praying about and the places where God has showed up. Whatever it is, you're called practically to be people of memory, That you can remember that God will provide and remember that we're called to be people of rest and in remembering what God has done in the past it will sustain us for the journey ahead. The Lord will provide. Reminds me of one of my favorite Bible stories from from Genesis 22. One of the most painful stories is a father where Isaac and Abraham walk three days up the mountain and they're walking in silence Abraham has has waited to have a son his entire life and now he has Isaac and the one thing he wants God to provide that he wants to hold on to and God says, open your hand because even the things closest to you, I may ask of you, you will receive that which sustains you. And so they're walking up the mountain and then Isaac turns to his dad and we don't know exactly how old Isaac is in the text, but I want these words to come out of his mouth, daddy. Who will provide? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And the rest of the narrative is so hard for us even to absorb. Isaac lays down on the altar because he so trusts his father's hands. And then his father has a knife in his hand because he so trusts his father's hands. And then God says, wait, I will provide for you. And there's the ram and the thicket and the worship continues will receive that which sustains us. The Lord does provide, he has provided, and he will continue to provide. And we need to be people remembering that in our rest, we're confirming that we don't earn anything. We are open-handed with all of it, and so we can rest and allow our rest to be worshiped. May we take this journey as a church this morning, knowing that God's provided, and telling others about it, and living out a call to rest. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for the chance to worship you and to open your scriptures. We just pray, Lord, that you continue to reveal yourself to us. That You're the God that really cares, and you're God that does really provide. And then, Lord, for those of us in the room this morning, that there's a gap between the life we're living and what provision would look like. We pray for your confidence. We pray for more faith, Lord. We pray for more hope. We pray that you would continue to move in specific ways in which people would see your hand of provision. Lord, there's people in the room this morning that are, that are asking for a miracle or provide in specific ways in their life. And mostly, Lord, provide your presence to us, your people, that we would know you intimately and that we would have the courage to speak about you in all the places you take us. Lord, finally here in these, these middle days of the summer, allow us to be people of rest. And that we have to stop striving so hard to enter into the life you've created us. Lord, in resting, we're confirming that all of our life is lived in response to your great goodness. And there's lots of hard work to do, but there's lots of days to do that. in. on restful days, Lord, give us the courage to rest well. In your great and mighty name we pray, amen.